turn to the book of Revelation. Thank you so much for leading our singing, Joseph and Lizzie playing. Yesterday was their dad's birthday, and um, I know it's a sad time for them, but I was thinking about Peter as we were singing about God's faithfulness, and I appreciate the faithfulness of the Jimbalvo family too. There's God's faithful to us in our difficult times, in our times of blessing and ease, and our challenging times. God's always faithful, but it's good to see people that are faithful to God even when things aren't going the way they'd like for them to. And uh, he deserves that. I think we'd all agree with that. We're going to be reading in Revelation chapter 13. We'll begin by reading just a few verses. Revelation chapter 13. John is writing down, recording, sharing with us what God allowed him to see from the Isle of Patmos. And I'm so thankful for it. It gives us a lot, of, a lot of insight about what the future holds. We've been talking about the tribulation period now for a few weeks. And let's look in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and his authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you again that we can be here tonight and we are just encouraged by the fact that we can be here. Lord, that we can lift our attention to you and our voices in praise to you, that we can fellowship with one another, love one another as you've loved us, encourage each other. And that, Lord, that we can get into your word together. We're blessed. We're blessed to see young people wanting to serve you with their lives. And families that want to bring up their children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All these things encourage us tonight, and we're thankful for them. And, Father, we pray that tonight, as we get into your word, that you'd lead us, you'd teach us, you'd help us to better understand what the future holds. And help us to rejoice in the grace that's ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. We ask it all in his name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that I I have mentioned more than once, and I think it's important to remember as you're going through and studying prophecy and things in the book of Revelation in particular, and that is don't get 
uh, too hung up on things that you don't understand because you, there's things that nobody fully comprehends about the future and you know some people may say they do but uh, I would disagree with them but but what we do we know enough what we do know to help us and encourage us and give us wisdom about the future and so here John is seeing this upon the sea this beast in verse 1 rise up out of the sea and he describes this beast as having seven heads and ten horns and on all of these are the name blasphemy which is anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-Christ and it tells us in verse um, Two, that the dragon, the last part of verse 2, the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And we know who the dragon is. I just look across the, uh, to the next column in my Bible, uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, just to the left. It says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So where does this beast get his power? He gets it from Satan. And so we're going to look at this tonight. A big portion of what we're going to talk about is this beast who is, the beast is a system. It's a system made up of numerous governments. And we'll look at that together with the scripture tonight. But there's also a king, a person, a leader within that confederation of of governments, national um, powers. And that person is the Antichrist. So when it talks about the beast, It's both talking about this world system, but it's also talking about the Antichrist as a person. Now, who is this uh, ten-headed, ten-horns, seven heads and ten horns in verse 1? Who is this beast rising up out of the sea? And by the way, even the sea itself, you know, what is the sea? Does that literally mean a sea of water? And there's a passage in Scripture. Matter of fact, let's turn uh, to that. Turn over just a little bit to Revelation chapter 17. And Revelation 17 is talking more about, um, about this is about the religious system, the, the, uh, calls it the great whore, this religious system, worldwide apostate system. In Revelation chapter 17, though, and verse 1, it says that this, uh, last part of verse 1, the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. So there it's using the same kind of terminology as the sea, the waters. But here it describes what those waters represent. Look in verse 15 of Revelation 17, and we'll cover this uh, weeks ahead. It says, and he saith unto me, this is the, the description of this, what these waters are. The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth. Are peoples and multitudes and nations or tongue. So the waters are just used as an illustration of the world population. These waters, sitting among many waters, is, represents the entire world, the people of the world, the languages of the world. And every, every, several things, most things that we're going to talk about are worldwide in their influence. There's going to be a worldwide religious system. There's going to be a worldwide economy. And there's going to be a worldwide leader. And that worldwide leader is the Antichrist. So mark your place in Revelation 13 because we're going to come back and spend a lot of time here. Um, but in answering the question of who, who do this, this 
figure that uh, John saw, these seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and th- we see this found throughout the book of Revelation. Who does that? Who is that? Who does that represent? And I want us to go to the book of Daniel for, for a little bit. Daniel, in the Old Testament, um, the last of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And we're going to look at two different passages in Daniel that I believe shed light on this. And again, what Daniel records, first of all, we'll look at it was a, a, a vision, a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And then we're going to look at a vision that Daniel himself had and, and see the similarities and how they clearly speak of this end time world system. Uh, so in Daniel chapter 2, if you look there, Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and Nebuchadnezzar wanted his um, magicians, his religious people, to interpret the dream. But here was the unique thing about this dream. Daniel did not, did not only not know what the dream was about or uh, translated into and, and explained, he, didn't even, he forgot the dream itself. And that's, that's going to be a real problem for all, of, all the people he called before him. And so in Daniel chapter, uh, early part in chapter 2, we see that, uh, well, matter of fact, in verse 1 of chapter 2, of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. His spirit was troubled. His sleep broke from him. Um, we know how that feels. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to show the king his dream. So they came and stood before him, and he said, I had this dream, and I need to know what the dream means. And they said, well, tell us the dream. He said, well, I don't even remember the dream. I don't remember the dream, and I don't know what it means. Well, none of them could do that, and they said, nobody can do that. But there was someone who knew who could do that. And that was uh, Daniel, and he knew the Lord could do that. And so in Daniel chapter 2, verse 36, he says, This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. And he begins to um, explain. Well, let's let's back up a little further. I went too far. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31. Here's where... He first tells him what the, what the dream was. We, I was looking at the interpretation of the dream. But let's see, first see what the dream was. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. He said to Nebuchadnezzar, and you got to remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the king, the ruler the, of the great Babylonian empire. This is not just, you know, the local mayor. This is the man who is, directs the, the, world, the world empire of the Babylonians. And so he says, what you saw is this image. And just quickly in verse 32, he says, uh, Daniel says, this image's head was of fine gold. Now there are several different parts of this image, and each one of them represents a, we'll call it a government, represents a kingdom. The, The image's head was of fine gold, That's one kingdom, and you'll see that in a moment if you don't already know this. And then second of all, his breast and his arms were of silver. His heads of gold, his torso, his breast and his arms are of silver. That's a second kingdom. His belly and his thighs of brass, that's a third kingdom. 
And then there's verse 33. His legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. That's a fourth kingdom. And you'll see this played out numerous times in the scripture. And then verse 34 says, Thou sawest till... He's telling Nebuchadnezzar what he saw. You were watching this image and thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them into pieces. This, this stone cut out without hands smote that fourth kingdom, the image, uh, and destroyed it. And of course, just put this in your mind again. I'm just, I know many people may be very familiar with this. Maybe it's been a while since you looked at this. You have four kingdoms there, but the last one, verse 34, is the kingdom of Christ, which will control and destroy all the kingdoms that are upon earth at that time, and he will set up his kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom. So we're going to see this numerous times. All right, now let's go to verse 37. He's going to explain this, verse 36, actually. This is the interpretation Verse 37, thou, O king, talking to Nebuchadnezzar, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And he, he just talks about the greatness of his kingdom. And look at the last part of verse 38, thou art this head of gold. So there we know what this image is about. The, head, the, the image had a head of gold, and, and what did that head of gold represent? The kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And then verse 39, he says, After thee shall arise another kingdom. This would be uh, the second kingdom that we saw over there in verse uh, 32. And uh, this of silver. And the second kingdom would be inferior to thee. And that's the, that would be the Persian kingdom. And if you're, even in, Bible, in the study of the Bible, we have much about the kingdom of Babylon. God's children were taken captive to Babylon. And after 70 years, they would return back to their homeland. But Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. This is a matter of history. And so the second kingdom there in verse 39 is the Persian Empire, which would have gone up to about 330 B.C. And then and he says another third kingdom in verse 39 was a kingdom of brass. And the next world empire that followed the uh, Persian Empire was the Greeks. The Greeks conquered the world. Alexander the Great, I'm sure you're familiar with him, is a, is a world leader. And Alexander the Great was the, was the king over that kingdom. Verse 40, and the fourth kingdom, and that's the kingdom we'll spend our time really trying, to, really trying to focus on tonight. The fourth kingdom will be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and so do of all things. And the next world empire, after the Greeks conquered the world, it was conquered by the Romans, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire came into power really just before uh, Jesus Christ was born. It was a relatively new empire, world dominance. And in, in, it was in 70 AD, as a matter of fact, that they conquered Israel. And I know this is a lot about history, but it's really what the Bible is about in this passage, talking about these different kingdoms. And he describes this fourth kingdom, uh, Daniel does, in verse 40, in verse 41, verse 42, and gives some reasons for the, the mixing of the iron and the clay. And I, I don't want to spend that time on this because I really want to just basically establish the fact that it's the Roman kingdom. 
And uh, then look down in verse 44, it says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. What kingdom do you think that is? The, the reign of Jesus Christ. He sets up his earthly kingdom. And verse 44 goes on and says, And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Okay, so we have these kingdoms, and now let's go to Daniel chapter 7. And we find another, another dream and vision in verse 1 of Daniel 7. And this was in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, who was a, uh, succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel said, I, Daniel, Daniel said he had a dream and visions of the head upon his bed. And, um, and this is what he saw. So let's look at this. And what you're going to see is he also, in a different way, saw these four kingdoms, the same four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw. And so in verse 3, it says, Four beasts came up from the sea, diverse uh, one from another. The first was like a lion. And he's talking about, again, the Babylonian Empire. And then the second one in verse 5, second beast was like to a bear, and that's the Persian Empire. And then in verse 6, he said the third one was like a leopard. That's the Grecians, the Greeks. And verse 7, after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. And again, just to help enforce it in our mind, reinforce it, uh, this, is talking, this fourth kingdom is talking about the Romans. That we see the Romans that were in power when the Roman soldiers, just this morning we talked about Jesus being taken by the Roman soldiers. That was the kingdom. This was all future tense as far as Daniel was concerned. It would have been the time of Christ. A fourth beast, verse 7 says, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it describes the power of the Roman Empire. Devoured and breaking pieces, stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and notice this, it had ten horns. This one beast had ten different entities with it. Verse 8, and I considered the horns. So this, this is Daniel saying, this is what I saw. I saw this fourth kingdom, and it, there was a beast that had ten horns, and when I considered the horns in verse 8, there came up among them another little horn. I have that underlined in my Bible, this little horn, because that little horn is going to be the, power, the person of prominence and power in the um, Great Tribulation, the last part of the Great Tribulation. And there came up among them, among these other horns, and these other horns have to do with other entities, other governments, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn, talking about this little horn that rose to power and destroyed other countries, were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. And once again, we see in verse 9, 
Daniel says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame. So in both of these, we see the same pattern. I hope you can see that. Four different world empires, the last one being the Roman Empire, and then the reign of Christ would would continue would establish his reign, and he would reign forever. Now let's look down to verse 17 of that same chapter. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings. So you might say, well, why do you say that these four beasts are kingdoms? Well, because that's what Daniel said, they're kings. These four great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. Daniel lived... During the first kingdom, Babylon, all these other kingdoms are future tense. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Daniel was aware, was convinced, was was declaring how that one day the kingdom of Christ would conquer all these other kingdoms. We look forward to that, don't we? Then Daniel said an interesting thing in verse 19. He said, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. He said, I want to know more about the fourth beast. That fourth beast represents the Roman Empire. I want to know more about the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful. And he describes his power, his dominance. In verse 20, he says, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other I've underlined the word the other because the other is that small one that came to prominence. That's the Antichrist. And in this, in this, in this future kingdom, which will have ten basic um, powers that control confederate, confederate tr- uh, uh, powers that control the world, there will be one that was a little horn that came to prominence that will become the world leader. So that's why I want to emphasize this, verse 20, the ten horns that were in his head and of the other that came up and before whom three fell, even of that horn, he said it again, that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things. This same language will be found in the book of Revelation, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld and that the same horn, that horn, Daniel says, made war with the saints and prevailed against them. He's seeing what's going to happen in the future. In verse 22, it said it again, until the Ancient of Days came. (laughs) It just keeps coming back to we're on the winning side. No matter what happens, in the end we win. Verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. She'll tread it down and break it in pieces. It's kind of hard for us to imagine with all the different countries having their own autonomy, self-governing, uh, own nationality, how that one day the whole world will be governed for, by one entity, but it's going to happen. Verse 24, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. So we see it clearly. This, life, this Roman kingdom... That will, that will make war against the saints, 
has these ten horns, and all these are ten kings, verse 24, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints. I like that language. Wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. He's going to change everything. Notice this, though. And they shall be given into his hand, into this king's hand, this, this another king, this, this king that came to prominence. And they shall be given unto his hand until a time, one, singular, and times, multiple, that's two, and the dividing of time, three and a half years. This king, there'll be a part of these ten kingdoms who will destroy three other kings in doing so, will be in power for three and a half years. Sometimes it says time, times, and the half time, dividing of time. Sometimes it says 42 months, it's, but it it's always comes out the same. Three and a half years. And let's just say it again. Look in verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. So, let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. Because I just wanted to establish that we know from the book of Daniel who this is that came up out of the sea, this beast rising out of the sea with these ten horns and ten crowns. It is, it is the... Um, I'm going to call it the, the revived Roman Empire because I believe that's exactly who it is. It's this ten-headed ten beast that rises out of the sea that John was able to see. Um, just from a, from a geographic point of view, I want to look at a couple of pictures. One shows the Roman Empire. Um, this is the Roman Empire at its height. And you just notice um, some of the countries that are there up at the top, kind of the middle there. It says Britannia, I think. I can't really see that too good, but that's, that's the United Kingdom. England was a part of the Roman Empire. And Spain, I know, is the bottom left over there. Oh, I can see it better up here. And then you see Italy. Uh, there's a part of it. Greece, you see, is a part of it. These countries made up the old Roman Empire. This was when Jesus was alive and it was at its height and it had these different countries that were conquered by Rome and they were part of the Roman Empire. Now, I've got to kind of get a mindset on that, especially the nations above the Mediterranean Sea and, of course, over to the right of the Mediterranean Sea, you see Judea where Jerusalem is, Israel is. Okay, now let's look at a picture of the European Union. Uh, that's a pretty current picture. But notice, these, these are Confederate nations that make up the European Union today. Spain, that was one that was in the old Roman Empire, and United Kingdom, France, Italy, Germany, uh, Greece, these countries. And so really, there is a sense in which the European Union... These, ten, these countries united are really the old Roman Empire. They're, and they make up this confederation. 
And I personally believe that this somehow the, this Antichrist is going to come up out of that revived Roman Empire. Remember, the Roman Empire was the fourth of those kingdoms. In the second chapter of Daniel, in the seventh chapter of Daniel, we, we, this fourth one was, was clearly the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire lost its power uh, in about 300 or 400, I can't remember now, maybe 400 A.D., the Roman Empire was defeated, no longer was a world empire, but that confederation now has been revived in the form of the European Union. And I believe that's the old, the, it's like the fourth kingdom died for a while, but now it's reviving, and that's where the Antichrist is going to come from. Revelation chapter 13, um, so we see this beast, this come up out of the sea, and John saw this. For John, again, it was in the future, but this is where the Antichrist is going to come to prominence. Um, it tells us that this um, beast, in verse 2, I mentioned this earlier, got his power and authority from the dragon, from Satan. And uh, verse 3, he was, he was mortally wounded. It says, one, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was uh, healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So again, the language is so precise and so important. This is not just a local phenomenon, it's a world phenomenon. The whole world wonders after this beast, this powerful public figure is recovering from this fatal wound. And look in verse 4. And they worshipped the people of the whole world, all the world, last part of verse 3, wondered after the beast. And they, the whole world, verse 4, worshipped the dragon, which is the devil, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast. They didn't reverence him alone. They worshipped him. And this gets worse as we read on here in just a moment. So, but they're all worshipping the devil. And that's hard. I mean, we know there's a lot of um, error, a lot of uh, false worship. And we know there's a lot of uh, devil worship in our world today. But it's nothing like it's going to be. The whole world is going to worship this leader. And they're going to worship the devil who gives power to this leader. And um, they, it says in verse 4, who, they, the, they're going to say, who is like unto the beast? Who's can com compare to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He's our leader. You know, we're going to follow him. And there, was, and there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue how long? Three and a half years. Just like Daniel said, he'll have times, time, times, and divided time. Three and a half years, and that's the second half of the great tribulation. He's going to have power and authority. Verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. And I think that's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. And them that dwell in heaven. He's anti-Christ, anti-God, anti uh, saints, and he is idolized as being supreme. Um, now, I'm not going to turn to these passages again, 
But just a reminder that in Matthew 24, where Jesus was talking about the signs that would be prevalent at the end of time, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul wrote, don't be deceived and that uh, the end's not going to come until the man of sin be revealed and he'll desecrate the temple of God. And then Daniel chapter 9, it says that in the midpoint, halfway through the last week, halfway through the last seven years, at the midpoint, three and a half years, this Antichrist is going to take his place in the temple of God and declare that he is God. You remember that. It's said numerous times, we've gone over this, and so this blasphemy of the Antichrist, especially in the temple, the third temple, will be the mark of the, the, the final three and a half years. And so that's what John is writing about in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, it says in verse 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints. That's the same language that Daniel used. And to overcome them, and power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This, we're not going to be here. Thank God for that. But this world will be governed by a confederation of kings and he will, be, he will be the primary leader. Verse 8, notice this. Just, just take the language as what it says, verbatim. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Everybody on the planet that is not saved will worship the Antichrist and will worship um, the dragon, every unbeliever. I mean, that's, just try to wrap your mind around that. Everybody on this planet that does not know the Lord will, and there'll be people saved during the tribulation. We've talked about that. But those who don't know the Lord are going to worship the Antichrist. And he's going to viciously attack uh, people. Um, so verse, verse 9 says, If any have an ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I think that's talking about the endurance and steadfastness of tribulation saints, those who are on this earth. It will not be a pleasant, a pleasant uh, place because he's going to seek out and destroy every, every believer. People will be hunted and killed. Um, and over further over in the book of Revelation, it tells us they will be beheaded for their faith. Now, look in verse 11. Verse 11 says, John says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So it's another beast. Verse 12. And he, the second beast, exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, all the power of the Antichrist. And causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So the second beast causes people to worship. He is, he is influencing people to worship the first beast, to worship the Antichrist. Now this beast, this second beast, uh, is also known as a false prophet. 
And if you're not familiar with that, you might make a note of that in your Bible. And I'm going to give you a couple of places where it mentions that in the book of Revelation. Look in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 13. John says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. We know who the dragon is. And out of the mouth of the beast. We know who the beast is. It's the Antichrist, dragon, Satan. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. What we have here is like an unholy trinity. The Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Look in uh, Revelation chapter 19. And verse 20, Revelation 19, 20, and the beast was taken, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These were both cast alive in the lake of fire. So there we have this false prophet, this unholy. So you have this, the false prophet, you have the, the Antichrist, and you have Satan. And together, they form this unholy alliance. And this has been what's going on ever since Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. Is They're mounting this rebellion against God. We're in a spiritual battle. It's a part of our life. It's always been a part of life ever since Satan rebelled against God. And ever since he tempted Adam and Eve to turn against God. And there, this is... The, so what we're reading in Revelation, it's a last-ditch assault, final effort against the reign of God. And the end result is going to be that they're all going to be destroyed, they're all going to be defeated, and Jesus Christ is going to reign forever. And thank God for that. So, the, so all the, I think all three of these are counterfeits. I think Satan is a counterfeit God. He's the God of this world. I think the Antichrist is against Christ. He's a counterfeit of Christ. I think the false prophet is a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit points people to Christ, we just read this, the, 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 the false prophet points people to the Antichrist. He gets people to follow the Antichrist. Uh, just like the Holy Spirit marks those that are saved with a seal, the false prophet's going to mark the unsaved with a mark, with a seal. He's a counterfeit of the Spirit of God. And the first beast is political, primarily political in nature. The second beast is primarily religious in nature. And, you know, it's easy to see around us. We're still in chapter 13 now, and we'll wrap this up. Um, we see around us just things that are just paving the way for, by false religion, people following things that aren't biblical and um, believing that, you know, miracles, miracles must mean that this is legitimate, you know. Um, and so how is this, how's the false prophet? We're in Revelation 13, 13. How's the false prophet going to deceive people? Look in verse 13. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, and saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. You need to make your own image to, of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So he's going to use miracles to deceive people. Paul wrote about this. Uh, in his epistle to the Thessalonians. 
He's going to urge people to worship the beast and make images to the beast, the Antichrist, a worldwide deception and idolatry. And uh, that's, where, that's, that's where this whole thing is headed. And by the way, it's just a good reminder that we don't base what we believe on miraculous manifestations. We base what we believe on the Word of God. And in the Old Testament, even when Moses was about to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, the Pharaoh had his own uh, witches and warlocks and performing miracles, trying to mock or mimic what, mimic what God would do. And that's, this is only just going to become more and more and more um, the spiritual climate, I believe, of the world. Worldwide deception and idolatry. Verse 15, he gave power. He, the false prophet, gave power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Anybody who didn't worship the image of the beast would be hunted down and will be killed. And he causeth all, verse 16, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, everyone to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And John says, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And the number is six hundred, three score, or sixty and six. So everyone's going to receive a mark. And uh, there's been so much. I mean, having been a, a Christian um, for uh, 46 years, I guess, I've heard so many different philosophies and theories and speculations about the mark of the beast and what the mark is and who the Antichrist is. I mean, we've lived and seen people who just knew who the Antichrist was, who turned out, of course, to be. And there's nothing wrong with that, but people are, there's some, there's some things that people just don't know. And, there's, and this is something I'll just say, you know, we don't know exactly what that mark is going to be. Lots of people, I mean, I, back when the, when the vaccine was coming out, I mean, everybody was saying, you know, that this vaccine is going to have implanted in that vaccine this mark, and everybody, that's going to be the mark. And, and I want to tell you, that's not the mark of the beast. But I do believe that all the things we're seeing are forerunners, are precursors to the mark. The, you know, people who believe the Bible have always believed this is going to happen, but we see things that make it so much more believable from a, from a physical, tangible point of view with technology, with facial scanning, with, with uh, you know, implanted devices, digital tracking, where they know where everybody is and what they're doing and if they have the mark. I mean, it could have happened a long time ago, but it's so easy to see now. And we see more and more, we see this. The overreach of government, controlling, restricting, and really, I believe this coronavirus has given an opportunity 
for, these, for this government overreach to become more and more a reality. And, and even seeing in our own country and worldwide how through these tech giants that people's conversations are being monitored and censored. I mean, I remember when I was in high school reading George Orwell's Animal Farm in 1984. And it was such an amazing thing as a high school student reading. I mean, you got to understand, my parents, when my parents were born, uh, they didn't even, people didn't even have TVs. They didn't, they didn't even have electric in their house. And, and back in the, and so when I'm in high school, I'm reading about Big Brother who's watching you from inside a television screen. He knows everything. And I'm reading that thinking, good grief. But you know what? He was on to something, wasn't he? Because that's the world we live in where we're being monitored all the time. And I'm not saying that's all antichrist. I'm saying that's all making the way, the tools that will be used to more and more restrict people. Now they're, you say, well, they could never, they could never make a person take a mark in order to buy or sell. Well, there, there's discussion now that if you're not willing to take the vaccine, you may not be able to travel to certain countries. You may not be able to travel internationally. You may, and I'm just, I'm not saying the vaccine is it. I'm just saying these things show us how much control can be had and, and all these things we're living in, in our, in our world. And we, we've got it great here as far as restrictions are concerned. I read a, I read a, letter this week from one of our missionaries that we support that's living in a country where they ha- this is not hearsay this is he lives there 24 hour a day curfew where you have to have written permission to leave your home you think our our restrictions are are um, strict you think about that and you know People in countries where, and this, and really, there are people in this country who would do this, where citizens are urged to report violators. If you see someone that's not wearing a mask, if you see some turn them in, you say that wouldn't happen. In some places, they're arresting them and fining them. And again, that is not the end. This is not. I'm just saying these are all things that tell us what the world is going to be like in the days ahead. We're being programmed, if I could say it that way, for a world takeover. And unfortunately, many in our own government are sympathetic to that. They're globalists. They're more committed to the world government system than they are our own national security. So this is what's in the future. And I'm sure you probably have a lot of things hearing this, reading this, that you want to know all the exact answers about. Well, I don't know all the exact answers, but what I, I say, I'll end where I started. We know enough about it. Some of it is clear enough to know this is where the world is headed. And we're witnessing it. We're viewing it right before us. And somewhere along the line, it'll be after I believe it'll be after the rapture of the saints. Believers are gone. There's going to be this um, international 
confederation of countries, of kings, of presidents, and there will be one of those kings or presidents that will rise to a place of world prominence, and eventually they're going to control the world, and we're going to be watching it from above. Thank God for that. So, that 13th chapter to me of Revelation is really important, and I don't think we can really be clearly um, certain about who these, this ten-horned um, beast is without comparing it to Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. So, we'll have a few more lessons on this general subject series. I, uh, I hope it's not confusing to you. I hope you're, you know, it's like a lot of things. The more you read it, the more you hear it, the more the pieces kind of start coming together, and it just takes time to do that. So I hope you're, I hope that you're um, benefiting from it. For those of us who are saved, there's nothing like the assurance, the peace that we have that in this world that is going to be controlled by evil, demonic evil, that we're not going to be a part of that. It's just a blessing to know, isn't it? If you're not saved, you don't know that. You can't know that. And um, as we often do when we come to the end of the service, this one of these series, it's just a reminder, if we're saved, we ought to be glad we are. If we're saved, we ought to want everybody else to be saved, to avoid what is their certain destiny is. And um, it ought to cause us to work while we have the opportunity to do so. Let's bow our heads tonight for a moment. With our heads bowed tonight and our eyes closed. I don't know about you, but every time I read through these passages in Daniel and Revelation, and I see that in the end, there will be a kingdom that will conquer all kingdoms. That will be an everlasting kingdom. It just causes my heart to rejoice that God is in control and He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And uh, we're on the winning side. I'm glad we're working for a victorious king. Our Father, as we pray tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom of your word. And Father, we, we know that every generation, no doubt, for the last 2,000 years have read this, has read this, uh, these passages and looked at the prophecies and thought about what they meant and, and we stand with them tonight with wonder, really, hearts full of wonder at your greatness that, that Daniel could see, that you would show him, would you give him the ability to interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar that he didn't even know himself? 
that you would give him a dream to show him about these future kingdoms that would reign in the world and about the final kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're just amazed and filled with praise to you and gratitude to you. Father, help us to love you more and love your word. And we'll thank you and praise you for it.